So let's take our Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And last week we looked at Christ's seven steps of humility in the book of Philippians. Where Christ makes himself of no reputation. He takes upon himself the form of a servant. He's made in the likeness of men. He's made in fashion as a man. All of this he brings upon himself. And if I had to put all of this under one category, I'd say he was laying aside the privileges of deity. All for you and I. He humbled himself, the Bible says. In the same Philippians chapter 2, he became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. And so... He took the devil's best shot. And what was the result? Seven steps to exaltation. He ended up where God highly exalts him. Gives him a name that's above every name. Amen? Amen. At the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. In heaven, and in earth, and under the earth, Satan will relent. Satan will give up. Satan will surrender. Satan will put both of his knees on the ground. And Satan will say something he dreads more than anything in the universe he will say, Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. Before God pitches him into a lake of fire. I want a front row seat to that event. The older I get and the longer I go and the more I see of the results of sin, the more I hate Satan. And not only is every knee going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. It's going to be body language and words. Seven steps of humility followed by seven steps of exaltation. Followed this morning by the sevenfold glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we ask now that as we look at our glorified, resurrected Savior, we might catch a glimpse of the awesomeness of who he is, and what will it be like when we see him someday with our very eyes, glorified eyes, and a glorified body. Lord, help us to set our affection on things above. We've been blessed this morning, the singing, the fellowship, the good spirit, our young people up here, and uh, so much more. But Lord, more than anything else, we need to see Christ lifted up. And Father, flesh and blood can't do that. I, I'm completely insufficient. I'm painfully aware of that this morning. So Lord, by your spirit, illuminate your word to our hearts that we might understand, comprehend, and digest these great truths. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. 
John's speaking, and he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Laodicea, or unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet at dead. I I want to stop for a second there and just call your attention to verse 17. You know, I, I think the word awesome gets overworked. It really does. I heard, I heard two uh, little girls at the store the other day. <clears throat> Somehow I ended up in a store. I don't do that much. And one said, you want a piece of gum? She said, yeah, awesome. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, folks, what John saw was awesome. It was incredible. It was overwhelming. So much so that he fell at his feet as dead. So overwhelmed was he. You say, why? He was looking at not the lamb that came at the first advent. He was looking at the lion of the tribe of Judah. Who is coming at the second advent. To defeat the Antichrist, to put the devil in his place, and to set this tired old world right as he rules and reigns with a rod of iron for 1,000 years. That's who he was looking at. And the Bible says, when I saw him, verse 17, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And we're going to see throughout this description of Christ that on one hand, for the child of God, it's a source of great comfort. But for the lost, it'll be a terrifying experience unless they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior before they reach this day. He says in verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So you have the book of Revelation divided up into these three categories. First of all, the things which thou hast seen. This vision of Christ, the things which are, 
the seven churches in chapters two and three, <coughs> excuse me, and then the things which shall be hereafter, the prophetic aspect of Revelation from chapter four to the end of the book. Brother Rick Schwar wrote a book. Is he here? Couldn't fit him in the car today. She didn't hesitate to say that. Okay, I will not comment on that. Clarence Larkin will give you a lot more detail, but his book does a nice job of laying out all these timelines. I'll go back to that later. Verse 20. <laughs> the mystery of the seven stars. That was good. I, I got to admit that, sister. That was good. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. By the way, Jesus says here he has the keys of, of hell and of death. You, you have this sort of uh, a cultural misnomer that the devil controls hell. He does not. He's going to go there against his will someday. But he does not rule in hell. Christ has the keys of hell and of death. He runs the show getting to heaven, and he runs the show for those that are in hell. So let's look at the sevenfold glory of the person of Christ. Uh, starting in verse 14, notice first of all, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. This speaks of the ancient of days in the book of Daniel. The ancient of days. The uh, English judges used to wear a powdered wig, and it was reminiscent of this. It was to show antiquity. It was to show authority. It was to show patriarchal dignity, which is a good thing. Patriarchal dignity. Could I liberate half the congregation this morning? <coughs> It's okay that you're male. <laughs> Our society, as they would say down south, is again it. But God's not. And by the way, God is male. Now, if you're woke here this morning, you're grumbling right now. Well, you're just saying that because you are. No, I are, and he are, <laughs> but that's beside the point. <laughs> now, I don't even know where I was. <laughs> it bespeaks of his wisdom. It speaks of his wisdom. Uh, folks, we've all heard of judgments that have been passed and rulings that have been made that you, you, you just have the sense or it's not even just a sense, it's obvious that it was unjust, it was incorrect, a, a judge was bought, a, a judge was mistaken, a jury was fooled somehow. But let me tell you something, in judgment 
it's final, especially at the great white throne and at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be no errors. It'll all be righteous judgment. That's why God tells us all to hold off with our wrath. The Bible says, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You, you, know, you know what our problem is? We don't have all the facts. We never do. Because we're so limited. But he's not. His head and his hairs, white as snow. It speaks of antiquity, patriarchal dignity. Not that his hair was made white by age, for eternal power never grows old, but it speaks of his wisdom and experience and the venerableness of his character. And if you're lost here this morning, you're not going to be able to slip one past him. You need the blood of Jesus Christ. You can't afford to go into eternity without Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You can't afford to go out into eternity with your sins on you because your sins will find you out. But for those that are saved, all this speaks to us that he has made unto us wisdom. He's made unto us wisdom. I, 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 don't, I don't really ever gave, I don't think I ever gave it a conscious thought years ago. But I'm sure if you would have asked me, is there going to be a day and age in our country where people aren't even going to be willing to say what a woman is? That things would get that confused and that weird. Aren't you glad you're saved this morning? And that Jesus Christ has made unto you and I wisdom. He's made unto us wisdom. Folks, and wisdom's not about IQ. It's not about IQ. I've, I've met people with high IQs that couldn't screw in a light bulb if you gave them three tries. That, that when it comes to the practical matters of life, they're, they're just complete blanks. But, but God, regardless of our IQ, regardless of our station in life, regardless of our education, will give us wisdom in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, look at his eyes. The Bible says in the same verse, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Those eyes that had been often dimmed by human tears, that wept at the grave of Lazarus, are here pictured as burning with omniscient flame. And when I think of his eyes, the, book of, the, the Song of Solomon says he has dove's eyes, and to the child of God, it is the look of love. But to the lost man, these are eyes that penetrate straight through the conscience to the bottom of a man's soul, to the depth of his guilt. Don't play games with Jesus Christ this morning. Don't dismiss him lightly. Don't put him off another hour. He loves you. 
He's looking at you right now with those dove's eyes. But if you reject him and go into eternity without him, it'll be the eyes as a flame of fire looking right through you. And you will say with those in the book of Revelation, mountains fall on us. You'll be looking for somewhere to hide. The Bible says that all things will be naked and open in the eyes of whom we will be dealing with. Thirdly, look at verse 15. His feet, like unto fine brass, as if they burn in a furnace, his feet. Brass in scripture speaks of judgment. These feet, these feet that took him as he dragged that cross to the place of a skull to be crucified and mocked and made an open shame, these feet will now tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, Revelation chapter 19. Brother Wolski referenced it in Sunday school this morning. Jesus Christ is coming back. He is coming back. That, that is, that is uh, spelled out for us from, really from Genesis to Revelation, but especially from Matthew to Revelation, that Christ is coming back. And he came the first time as a lamb to be slain, but he's coming the second time as a lion out of the tribe of Judah, and the Bible says to judge and to make war. You say, judge what? All of the unrighteousness that the, the usurper, uh, the God, small g, Satan, the God of this world has set into place. I guess we probably shouldn't marvel at the lunacy that we see just getting worse and worse all around us. But it's because the God of this world has an agenda. He somehow believes he's going to set up a world that can oppose Christ and defeat Christ. But he will fail. He will fail. If you look around sometimes and think uh, that we're losing, read the end of the book. Yeah. Folks, we win. And not because of we, but because of he. Those same feet, those same feet that dragged that cross up Mount Calvary to the place of a skull, are going to tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And so this morning I ask you, do you want those same feet to carry you into heaven? Do you want those same feet to carry you to his Father? Or do you want to be on the receiving end of what happens in Revelation chapter 19, when he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. I know we live in a day and age where God wouldn't do such things. 
We've made a God in our own image. He's not, he's not made out of cement or, or plaster or metal, and, and it's not something we uh, bow down to uh, overtly, but we've created gods in our own hearts and minds, things that he would or wouldn't do, and we've assigned certain characteristics to him that are not found in the Word of God. When you study the natural and moral attributes of God, you find out the one attribute that all of his other attributes give way to is his holiness. That's why he had to allow his son to be tortured for our sins because his holiness required a payment. God's not a glorified Santa Claus that's just going to blow kisses into every, at everybody that wants to come in the way they want to come in and how they want to come in. And I'll tell you something right now. I'd rather bow and, and humbly make my way to heaven by bowing the knee to Jesus Christ and admitting I'm a, sa a sinner in need of a Savior and coming in humbly. I'd rather be humbly uh, coming into heaven than high-stepping into hell. Will you let him carry you to the Father? Aren't you glad as a Christian? I've been saved bumping up against 50 years now. And you know, there's a lot of times I couldn't take another step forward. And the Lord said, here, I'll take you there. Isn't he a wonderful Savior? And then we see his voice. We see his voice in verse 15 as a sound of many waters. There's really nothing more melodious or musical uh, than a babbling brook or, for me, for sleeping, rain on the roof. It's a lullaby. It's a beautiful thing. And that voice speaks to the child of God words of peace. It brings to us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. It says to me, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It says to me, take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That same voice says to me, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And on and on and on we could go. But what of the lost man? What of the lost man? It's not the babbling brook. It's not the melody of the rain hitting the, the roof and rocking you to sleep at night. It's the cataract of Niagara Falls. It's a judge passing a terrifying sentence when with a strong voice the one who should have been your Savior has to say to you, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, 
prepared for the devil and his angels. I told you before, I, I, don't, I don't know what business Christians have watching horror movies. I just, I don't get anything out of that. But I'll tell you what, they've never made a horror movie to touch that event. I mean, folks, in this life, you have judgment passed against you. You and your lawyer might hope you could appeal to a higher court and a higher court and a higher court and maybe the Supreme Court. But folks, once the creator of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, <coughs> says depart, there's no hope. There's no hope left. But that same one is saying to you today, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. That same voice right now, he's knocking on the door of your heart. Will you let him in? Will you let him in? Then notice his hand. We're told in verse 20 that he holds the seven stars. And when you, when you look all that up and you cross-reference all that out, these seven stars represent the angels of the seven churches. And what a beautiful and solemn lesson is taught here for us. It is that the ministers of Christ derive their power and their office from him and that he holds them in his hand. If they are false to him, no one can deliver them from his power. And if they are true and loyal, no one can touch or molest or do them harm. It speaks to me this morning of protection. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, that we're in his hand, and we're in the Father's hand, and no man is able to pluck us out of his hands. No one. No one. Folks, I, I, I don't care how big and bad you might think you are or how tough you are, but there comes times in life where we look at something that we have to face and we're intimidated. And we say to ourselves, I can't deal with this. Maybe it's physically. Maybe it's mentally. Maybe it's emotionally. But I can't deal with it. This is bigger than me. This is more than I can handle. And isn't good to know that you're in his hands. Isn't it good to know that the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that is he is standing before time ever starts and he launches the concept of time, creates it through the creation of the universe and the moving of the planets and heavenly bodies. He literally authors time. He is the Alpha. He is the author of it. He is the beginner. And then he is the Omega and he is standing at the end of time waiting for it to catch up with him. 
whatever you're facing this morning, whatever you're getting ready to go through, whatever you may be in the midst of, he's there waiting for you. He's there already. And he's there to help you. He's there to protect you. And then notice his mouth. Notice his mouth. In his right hand he had seven stars, verse 16, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's a two-edged sword. It's for the protection of his people on one hand and the destruction of his enemies on the other. It's the sword of truth. Pilate said it, and in doing so, he, he summarized this current postmodernistic age we're living in when he said, what is truth? And that's what higher education is designed to do, create maximum uncertainty. And, and in their way of thinking, the, high, the, the highest level of ignorance is to claim that you know anything for certain. I had a guy say that to me one time. He said the highest, because I told him, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And he said, well, that sounds rather dogmatic, and I believe that, that everything like that uh, indicates ignorance. Dogmatism indicates ignorance. To be sure indicates ignorance. I said, are you sure of that? He said, absolutely. <laughs> that crowd just doesn't like it that God gives his, his people a certainty. And that's what Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. In the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then lastly, lastly, we see his countenance. And the Bible says of his countenance in verse 16, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. You can't stare into the sun without getting your eyes burned out. You just can't do it. And so Moses wanted to see God, and God says, all right, I'll show you my back parts, whatever that means, and I'll hide you under the cliff of the rock for protection, because in these bodies, we just can't encounter the Almighty in all of his glory. So God will give us resurrection bodies someday. As the sun shineth in his strength. We see the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. So overwhelmed was Peter that he said, Lord, let's build three tabernacles here. Uh, one for you and one for Elijah and one for Moses. You see, when a Baptist preacher gets excited, he just starts building stuff. <laughs> he starts everybody into a building program. You'll get that. 
prophet Malachi talked about the son of righteousness, S-U-N, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, coming with healing in his wings. His countenance as the sun shineth in his strength. We're, we're told in the book of Revelation that heaven doesn't need the sun or the light of day. It's got the lamb to light it. You know what that speaks to me of this, mo this morning? It speaks to me of a, a bright hope. A bright hope. And Brother Walski talked about eternal security in Sunday school, that we have an eternal salvation. Folks, this life is as bad as it gets for the child of God. And this life is as good as it gets for the lost man. And for the child of God, the best is yet to come. Death is not an enemy. Death has been defanged by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death is release into glory. Glory, which any words I have this morning would fail to even adequately begin to describe. But I want to call your attention to one more thing, and we'll close. I want you to notice in verse 13. I want you to notice that when John turned and he saw in the midst of the seven candlesticks, he saw one like unto the Son of Man. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that John uses that phrase, Son of Man, because Christ is called the Son of Man, He's called the Son of God. And the Son of Man denotes the fact of His humanity, which He took upon Himself, as we saw last week. In in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, that he might humble himself, that he might lay aside the privileges of deity, that he might go to the cross and die for our sins. And so it speaks of him as a mediator. And all of this power and majesty and awesomeness, so much so that when John saw him, he fell at his feet as, as dead. I, I take it that he, he passed out in some capacity standing before him in all of that glory. The title Son of Man harkens back to the fact that when he came the first time, he humbled himself and subjected him to the terrible subjected himself to the terrible death of the cross that he might be our mediator this morning. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, you know the, the beauty of the priesthood of believers that you can come to God freely and talk to him. You can confess your sins directly to him. You don't have to go into a dark box and confess your, your sins to a black-robed Baalite priest. As I used to do before I got saved. But you can go directly to the Father through your mediator. 
You can pray. You can bring all of your needs. What, what a gift prayer is. Please don't look at prayer as a burden. Look at prayer as a gift that God has given you until you get to that place where all is fulfilled. Prayer helps us with all the deficits and shortcomings of this life, especially our own personal shortcomings. But we can have access to the Father through our Savior, Jesus Christ, our mediator. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And if you're here this morning looking in online, it doesn't matter. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, the Son of Man came to be your Savior. And you can meet him now is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, or you can wait and die in your sins and meet him as a lion out of the tribe of Judah who's coming to judge and to make war. The choice is yours. I hope you'll choose the Lamb. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. How many would signify by the uplifted hand, say, Preacher, I know that I'm saved I know that I know Christ. I know the Lamb. Would you slip your hand up just for a moment? All right. Please put them down. Is there anybody here this morning who would say, Preacher, I, I, I'm not saved, but I am concerned for my soul. No one else looking around. I won't single you out or embarrass you in any way, shape, or form. I promise you that. But I'd like to pray for you if you're not saved. Would you slip your hand up just for a moment? Thank you. I see that hand right up here in the front. Anywhere else? I don't know Christ, but I am concerned for my soul. Would you pray for me? Perhaps you're looking in online. Let me invite you to do something in just a moment. In a moment, we're going to have a a song of invitation. We have altar workers here. Maybe some here this morning as Christians need to come forward and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for what you've done for me. Help me, Lord, to tell others. Help me to be faithful. Help me to live for the only thing worth living, the only one worth living for. And that's you. But maybe you're here this morning without Christ. I would invite you to come. Have a word of prayer. Let somebody tell you how to be saved. Receive Christ as your personal Savior. Maybe you're looking in this morning. You can't answer an invitation, but you can do this. You can bow your heart to the Son of God. You can say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve your judgment. I've, I've broken your holy law. And your word tells me that Christ died for my sins and he rose again. And right now, Lord, the best I know how, I'm asking Jesus Christ to be my savior, my advocate, my representative, my mediator. I'm asking him to be my personal savior right now. By faith, I receive him. I I take him as my Savior. I, I thank you that he's willing to receive me, even with all my sin.
you do that this morning? Would you receive him as your personal Savior? The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Child of God, maybe it's time for us to get back to that first love. Remember how it was when you first got saved, how excited you were? Didn't know a whole lot of Bible, but you were just glad you knew Christ. Let's never get away from that. And if we have, let's get back to it. Maybe a trip down the aisle. Maybe a little time at the altar talking to him about it. Maybe a little injection of faithfulness and praise. Maybe that's what we need this morning. Let's ask God to fire up that first love again. Father, bless the invitation. Bless this one especially that raised her hand, Lord. Help her to come to you. Help her to surrender in her heart to the one who died for her sins, the one that looks at her right now with dove's eyes and is more than willing to take away all those sins and give eternal life as a free gift. And Lord, as your child this morning, I... I freely confess to my own shame, Lord, that so often things, events, issues, people, my own thoughts distract, and I'm really not looking unto Jesus very much, the author and finisher of my faith, but it's really where I should have my eyes most of the time. So help us, Lord, to fasten our eyes on the one who took those seven steps of humility to receive those seven steps of exaltation and what a wonderful sevenfold glory and to think that we'll spend eternity with him. My, my, my. In Jesus' name, amen. What number, brother, again? Number 13. Bow the knee, number 13. Number 13, let's stand and sing. Bow the knee. What a privilege to come into God's presence Just to linger with the one who set me free As I lift my eyes and see his awesome glory I remember who he is and bow the knee Bow the knee
Nathan Gipp, is that you? Hiding behind Brother Walski there. Come on up here and close us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this day. God, from Sunday school to the Sunday morning message, God just gives glorification to you. Uh, Lord, I am looking forward to that day when we get to see what John saw. And I would say, please make it soon. Lord, there's big plans this week with this church and with pastors flying in and their families coming in and this church uh, putting on a spread for us. But Lord, I would say that those plans would not be disrupted if you came back today. And Lord, you said you'd come back. Lord, we're looking for it. We're here today worshiping you. And Father, we pray that today would be the day. But God, if there's one here that, uh, Lord, will be receiving the end of the judgment in the book of Revelation. God, that today that they would bow the knee as we just sang and they, they would accept you into their heart. Father, we ask you just please be with them. If you do delay your coming, that God, you would work in their heart and the things that they've heard today, Lord, all around this church grounds. We ask you to please work in their soul. But God, I'll end this prayer with what John ended Revelation in. Even so, come Lord Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.